0: fourteen, I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh.
2: And I know what it's called when there's 200 halflings at the bottom of a caress. What? Littering. Literally. Literally. Liter- I can't L- talk. <laughs> literally. Literal, literal, literal. <laughs> so we're at show 100, guys. Holy crap.
0: How's it How feel?
1: That? Feels like I, Groundhog Day. I feel
0: old. <laughs> Feels like the first time. No. Well, actually, yeah, it does. Software yeah. jacking up, you know.
3: <laughs> <It's>,
2: <laughs> we have no idea if this is even recording. What are we yeah. doing
0: here? Right. Who are you people? No, we're we're to get here.
2: <laughs> do, 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 do,
0: so, but no, show one hundred, and to celebrate show one hundred, we are doing a uh, topic that is near and dear to our hearts. If you have not guessed, what the half wing crevasse crack, or or maybe the title of the file. Well, that too, Dungeons and Dragons. That is a t- that is what we're talking about today.
2: But not yet. No. First, we're going to be talking about the Musings of a Geek Podcast Network.
0: Yes, we are, because the Musings of a Geek Podcast Network has many wonderful podcasts, such as The Bearded Ones, such as uh, History of Bad Ideas, who we met this last week at Gen Con. Which was yes, awesome. Yeah. It was, gentlemen. We yeah. Uh, missed Amy
2: from Culture Babble, but the Culture Babble podcast is also uh, on this uh, Musings of a Geek Network with us. Yeah. But uh, apparently they, uh, she was there.
0: Really? Yeah. yeah. Didn't get to see her. I know, uh, well, Dark Angels and Pretty Freaks is another podcast, but they weren't there either. Who the What Now, Sad Robot Radio, and uh, The Q from Hell. Sure.
3: Yeah. What about Leftfield Sports Lounge? Were they at Gen Con?
0: Maybe. Uh- they were, but it was just the same Gen Con that they've gone to for the last. Oh, <laughs> Aww. Aww. Yeah. We met them. There were two guys with baseball bats. They're like, we got to talk to you guys. Those weren't
2: podcasters, Mike. Those were muggers. Oh. <laughs> that's what they happens when you go past cosplaying. the White Castle in uh, Indianapolis. <laughs> they were
3: cosplaying as the Baseball
0: Furies. <laughs> ah. That would be fun. We should do that next year. Cosplay You're busy
1: a- running the game show, sir.
0: Yeah, that's true. But yeah, uh, but if you were out there and you saw us, we were uh, running Instant Game Show. The entire crew was out there, so uh, if you enjoyed it and you are now listening to the show now, we hope we can continue to entertain you on your commute or just sitting on the can or wherever it is that you listen to. Batman. Yes, Pervy Batman 2. So Shut. let's say
2: you're not at Gen Con on a given Saturday. Maybe you're on the can. Well. Uh, it's Saturday. It's noon o'clock.
0: And uh, you want to listen to our show, you can turn on Geek Life Radio and hear our most recent show, which uh, is publishes Sunday night, Monday morning, around there every week. So, Geek Life Radio at noon, you will hear our show cast semi-live, which means not live at all.
2: Yes, (laughs) from the week before, actually. you like like, having
1: another stroke. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I might be. <laughs> if you'd like to check out our archives, uh, which are getting rapidly restored. Uh, yes. We've got all of them up at all times on Talkshoe, but you can check them out also on iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Right now we've got about the most recent what would you say, twenty or 20
0: 20 ish. Twenty ish ones. I'm trying to when I sit down try and knock out ten at a time. So nice. little by little we're gonna bring them all back for you. Little Little, little.
2: So if you'd like to get in contact with us, though, and uh, tell us about what we should do for the next hundred shows, you can always give us a call at seven oh eight now wrap. That's seven oh eight six six nine nine seven two seven. Or you can send us an email at forty go fourteen at gmail dot com or send us a tweet at forty go fourteen. Yes. I'm, so uh, pretty grateful to you guys for letting me get away with noon o'clock.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'm sure Mike's going to say something I can fuck with. I'll just leave that one alone.
0: Yeah, it's that's that's like nothing compared to whatever I'm going to do when we do the tweet. So <laughs> uh,
2: Getting fucked with. We've got some uh, voicemails.
1: Ooh.
2: Are uh, I, I them from Charlie? Well, let's find out. So, you fucking jerk-offs are Aww. not going to do an Arnold show proper.
1: Um, you're going to break it up into separate, different shows. Uh, I just think that's ridiculous. I mean, you have the opportunity, you have the means. Who hasn't seen a
2: bunch of Arnold shows, movies, whatever? But uh... I guess I don't know, man. I'm just I'm I'm not I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed.
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, you know, it's it's, it's right there. Let's do it. Do it. Just do the fucking show.
0: Don't do let, it. Don't let your dreams be dreams.
1: right here. It's right where. Here,
0: where. Here, man. <laughs>
1: You know how sad it is that I am the only one agreeing with Charlie on this issue?
0: Well, I mean, would you rather... Oh, God, there he goes again. (laughs) He's done now. He's done now. Well, Do you want to do a half-ass show or do you want to do a full-on show?
1: I want to do a full-ass show on Arnold. I want to do a show about Arnold's full ass.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say I said full <laughs> on show. I never said full ass show. I don't we've know where you're total recall. So like the idea that we're gonna save
2: all of the Arnold movies for and we've already done Conan the Barbarian. In so practice. the idea that we're gonna save those films for an Arnold Schwarzenegger show, that ship has sailed long ago.
0: Yeah. Well then when are we gonna do the last stand show? That's I, I think we should do Jingle All the Way. Oh yes. Screw you guys. <laughs> Stop or my we'll do, mom will we'll shoot you. Do
1: uh, yeah, we'll do uh, Last Action Hero and Jiggle All the Way.
2: I hate wow. you so much
0: right now. <laughs> Thank you, Kellis. Uh, so do we have any other... Uh, oh, we got awesome. a bunch. Awesome. Let's hear them. Hey, gentlemen. This is Randy from Cincinnati.
3: Uh, just on my way home from work, uh, listening to the newest show, Studio Ghibli and... Uh, Got through to the, uh, the this weekend, and uh, I must, I guess, thank Pat for putting in an Iron Maiden reference. Fuck yes, uh, that's really all. Uh, hope you guys had a good time at jetcon Thanks, bye.
0: Yeah, I'll, always yeah. glad to hear from you, Randy. Yeah, and uh, you know, as you also know, more metal than Kiss. Definitely.
2: Shut up. <laughs> oh, yeah, this time it's it's factually true. It's not like we're just screwing with you. No, they're definitely yeah. more metal. Iron Maiden this. is more metal than a lot of metal bands. Randy is
0: more metal than Kiss. Okay, so yeah, oh. now Charles is just fucking with.
1: Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I will agree that med- Yeah, Iron Maiden. I gotta give. It.
0: Yeah. So, any other? Uh...
1: So what is it? Is it, is it is oh, too okay. much to do? The show would be too full. <laughs> you think it's going to be too full? with just talking about Predator. Was this a three-minute pause? <laughs> I mean. I don't... <laughs> You think it's gonna to be too full? So I hope you'll stay put for my fist. Something i my zipper, right your stomach, and pull out your goddamn spine. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
1: yeah. Yes, get out. That's pretty
2: good. Long pause. That uh, we're able to fit another voicemail in there.
1: Seriously? No. <laughs> oh god, because that, is... that would be awesome. That like if you sense literally sense. just had like a three minute pause in there, that would have been great.
2: It's not how any of this works. <laughs> He's turning that into, like, kind
0: of a pet. the gargling thing. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, I, I believe you're talking about this.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Charlie's
2: Arnold's just exactly. a little
0: better.
1: Mm. Yeah, more refined well, version of mine, basically.
0: <laughs> well, in his, in his defense, you were doing uh, Arnold having a stroke. True. When you did that, so.
2: And we got one more voicemail from uh, somebody new.
1: Ooh.
0: oh. Huh? Hey, guys, this is a guy named Daniel. Just calling in, letting you know that I enjoy your show. I'm a guy that occasionally leaves you a thumbs-up on Stitcher. So, yeah, I'll continue to do so for you. And as a wise man once said, butts to the
2: front. I uh, learned that uh, I have, uh, at Gen Con, I won the first piece of exclusive 40 going on 14 merchandise. Yeah, A a, uh, butts-to-the-front ceremonial pin. Uh, made yeah. by friend of the show and uh, our DM for our uh, Pathfinder session at Gen Con that we're going to talk about later, Mr. Yep. Joe Abereno.
3: Hey, Joe. Where are you going with that dice in
2: your hand? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I think on that note, it's probably about
0: that time. I think so. This week in music, movies, and TV.
3: That's sports.
0: All right, so uh this weekend, 1983, is the uh, day that we're doing, or the year that we're doing, because it's the release of the Red Box. And if you don't know what that is, uh, that is the... That was my
1: ex-girlfriend.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: after she dated you. Yikes.
2: <laughs> so we're talking, like, the basic box set for character Ooh.
0: levels. Is uh, it, like, 1 to 4? I think it's, like, 1 to 7 or 8.
1: That was just no, the one that came with the with the blue pre cut dice that like didn't didn't they were like didn't have the the numbers colored in.
2: Yeah, this is uh, the era where you inked your dice with a white crayon. Yeah, yeah. Look at this. Ex, uh, basic set was characters one to four, and then expert took you from four to fourteen.
0: Oh, okay, okay. All right. Well, that is the uh, the why we're doing the tweet on this day of the ninety three because it's also the day the the red box is the way a lot of us got into D and D. So. And by a lot of us, I mean half of us. So, (laughs) music. The number one song is Every Breath You Take by The Police. Also,
3: Charlie's long-distance dedication to
0: us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got a lot of creepy tweets and Facebook messages about how he was supposedly stalking around Gen Con in body paint.
0: Yeah, the comment about what he kept going on about how he liked my shirt. That was kind of disturbing. I was just... I was kind it of, I was really worried he was there. It
1: would have been great. And then we we all know that it was impossible because we saw who was under there. But it would have been great if he had been the Incredible Hulk after playing that game. Yes. He takes oh, his yeah. head off and be like, I'm Charlie.
3: <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> sound like that.
1: No, <laughs> <So> it's probably <laughs> how he does it. he He modifies his voice when he leaves voicemails. He really talks like one of the kids, you know, like the elf from the Island of Misfit Toys. Like,
0: hi!
3: I'm just letting you go, Pat.
0: (laughs) I'm Charlie. (laughs) No one wants to play with a Charlie in the box. So,
1: uh, August 5th. Nobody likes a Charlie in the box.
0: (laughs) God, that's too (laughs) good. (laughs) So, August 5th, David Crosby is sentenced by a judge in Dallas, Texas, to five years in prison on charges of drug and weapon possession. David Crosby responds with I did what? Where? Huh? <laughs> Who are you? Who people? are you? <laughs> nice robe. Um <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Did he actually did he actually spend time in prison? Probably not. Probably uh, yeah, appealed. I,
1: I think he probably spent like, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever, or overnight or something. It was nothing major. Yeah. That's not five was lost. Years. yeah. Yeah, no, he did not spend an entire five years in prison. I, I think we wouldn't remember that.
0: Yeah. He so, would remember that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like his defense was, Your Honor, look at him. He doesn't know where <laughs> he is now. He's
1: If this man does not take drugs, he will fall over dead. <laughs>
3: Dude, is Tr- this
0: McDonald's?
1: LSD is all that's keeping his genes together right now. <laughs>
0: So he just had a picture of He's wearing a pair of Levi's that are all held together with tabs. <laughs> 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 oh, shit, that's stupid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so some albums released this week in 1983 were Lawyers in Love by Jackson Brown, a great album, Innocent Man by Billy Joel back when he still rocked, and the eponymous debut album of Queensryche.
3: Operation so there, Minecraft.
0: Which is not that album. No. 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 So. <clears throat> do all of us enjoy? Do all of us like Queensrÿche? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, my favorite album, uh, of course, is Empire. Yeah, I like I like Minecraft myself.
1: I I, I like Queensrÿche, but I've never been like a huge fan.
0: Yeah, I
3: like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. <sighs> Segway. Okay, don't don't run with it. Just make me look like an asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs>
0: And- I was trying <laughs> trying to see Jake. how Bohemian Rhapsody was going to segue into <laughs> movies but yeah, I don't understand this what the segue is Oh no you know why because it's that uh, remember that story about um Josh's brother Well not Josh's brother and the uh the barfly at Garfield's when you and I worked there Pat that's the segue he was on Cause remember, Josh's brother thought he was buying the Queen album. Yep. But he was so baked out of his brain, he bought Queen's Reich and didn't understand it. And then Josh took it.
2: Yep. That's how I discovered the band.
0: Yes. And then I wound up in going to see Queen's Reich with Fred from, uh, Oh shit. Our- when the barfly was like, oh, he, Fred comes out. because goes, I got an extra ticket for Queens Queensryche. Does anyone want to go see it? And they, that barfly who was like, at that time, 60 some years old, he was like, oh, man, I love them. We are the champions. And I was like, <laughs> you're going to be really disappointed if you go on this trip with Fred. <laughs> so, because he may, or may not, he may or may not be Otto from The Simpsons. That's true.
1: <laughs> he kind of was.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, so uh, movies. Movies. August 11th, Chris Hemsworth is born. He's an Australian actor best known for his roles of Kim Hyde in the Australian TV series Home in a Way, the horror comedy The Cabin in the Woods, and the dark fantasy film Uh-Oh, Acronym of the Week. <laughs> S-W-A-T-H. What do we got, Josh? Uh, that's Suicide Watch at the Hamptons.
2: So uh, really <laughs> only terrifying to you if you make more than $500,000 a year. but
0: yeah. and And own a polo pony. So yeah, and the
2: remake of Red Dawn. Yes, yes. Was, Th- these are the things it.
0: Chris Hemsworth is known for. Hey, yes. he was excellent in Cabin of the Woods, especially when he would that motorcycle jump right into the giant digital destroy you wall. Was it,
3: wasn't he in Not Another Teen Movie?
0: No, that wasn't. Hey, here Schwartz we go movie. again. No, no yeah. wait,
1: uh, That's Chris Emsworth. Chris Emsworth. <laughs> <Chris laughs> <Msworth.
3: Chris laughs> <Hansworth.
2: laughs> he had a hot dog in his butt.
1: Chris Evans. Chris Emsworth.
0: Chris <laughs> Evansworth.
2: Of course, the gag here in uh, This Weekend is that Pat left off Thor, which is what he's actually best known for.
0: Wait, what? That, that's the joke. Yeah. <laughs> Yes.
2: Crystal, Thor. big guy, hammer, lightning—you know, Thor. Nice. Anybody? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Apparently not. Um, I've heard of him. So not impressed. Uh, also, a "Risky Business," starring uh, Tom Cruise and Rebecca De Mornay, is released on August fifth. That's uh a story. Yeah, has the uh the boxer dance scene that led up into the couch scene on Oprah. What? for Tom Cruise. Yeah, cuz that's was all
1: his... English words. I recognize them.
0: Yeah, he did the boxer thing where he's dancing around and singing and rescue business was in and then
1: He was not in boxers, he was in briefs.
0: Ah, oh, it's true. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh unusual that you had to correct me on that, Pat. Um Why is that unusual? Just it's not
3: unusual. To <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so TV, um <laughs> 1983. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, whoa, whoa. God damn it. <laughs> 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 So uh if you don't know what we're talking about, look it up. Salt and pepper <laughs> salt and pepper diner. John Find Mulaney. it out. John Mulaney. That's five minutes of your life right there. Yeah. Uh top shows on TV at the time were uh, sixty minutes, Dallas, Mash, and Magnum P. I. What does MASH stand for? Mobile, Mobile Army
1: Sur- Army, no. Army, yeah. Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. That's right.
0: Correct. 4077. Right. So, uh, also, Ashley Suzanne Johnson was born on August 9th. Now, she is an American actress, singer, and voice actress, known mainly for her roles as Chrissy Seaver from the sitcom Growing Pains. She was also a voice actress uh, and played Gretchen Grundler, the nerdy girl with the beaver teeth. Yeah, and the big glasses. Yeah, and Disney's Recess uh was also Gwen Tennyson in the series Ben 10 Alien Force which I have seen I've never I've never actually watched Recess but I do have watched Ben 10 and uh it's two successors and series oh and the series Teen Titans Go Who did she play in Teen Titans? No idea. No, no idea. Uh, uh okay. I watch it all the time but I'm not sure. <clears throat> uh, I'm looking it up now. I want to say she was probably if she was a regular she was probably um Star Tits, or whatever her name is.
1: <laughs> I don't know any... I've never seen any of these shows that she did voice work for, so...
0: Oh, well, she in 2012, she was also the uh, New York City waitress that Captain America saved in The Avengers.
3: Also known as Star Tits.
0: Yes. Star
3: Tits. Uh, Ashley Johnson, we said?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
3: She plays... Um, Tara?
0: Oh, okay. Tara's, oh, like, one of the recurring Nemesis on that show, so... Nemesis. Uh,
3: but yeah, she was uh, a <laughs> she was the kind of reddish head who was interviewed by the news at the end and talked about Chris Evansworth and the hot dog in his butt.
0: Yes,
2: <laughs> no, it's Chris Chris, em- Chris, Chris Evansworth. Evans- Chris Evansworth. <laughs>
3: it's just getting
0: worse. So, also in this time in 1983, Carolyn Jones. If you don't know who she is, she was Morticia in the Adams Family, uh, Tisho, and she died of cancer at age 54. Mm. Am I the old? She was kind of hot. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad I'm not the only person. to cuz I love that show. So.
1: Oh, okay. That was actually one of the few really healthy like married married couple relationships on TV, the two of oh, them. Oh yeah.
0: Gomez worshiped her. I mean, they the two of them were awesome together. And they
1: were great with their kids. They they, you know, they supported them in everything they did. They were never judgmental against other people. I mean, they're actually pretty nice. I wouldn't mind having them as neighbors. I think no, not, not at all. Point.
0: I understand that. I'm just I'm a... That's the joke. <laughs> oh. No, I always liked it when she started speaking French. Oh, yeah. So And Gomez Adams, got he was perfect for that role.
1: M. Bison. <laughs> yes,
0: that's exactly right. I'm talking- for me, it was M. Tuesday.
3: <laughs> we talking about the TV show, not the... Movie. Oh,
1: damn it. Thanks for reminding me of that. <laughs>
0: yep. So, uh, sports. Am I
1: quoted a street fighter? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dummy. <laughs> uh, Alexander Valerovich Perazogin, born August 10th, is a kazakhstani russian professional ice hockey player currently playing for Avangard omsk of the continental hockey league wow
2: i'm most impressed that the only word you struggled with there was hockey (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: impressive uh john sane of south bend indiana built a record 3.91 meter tall house of playing cards on august 3rd was he at
3: card hollow this year
0: yeah yes there was there was a they actually had one of these card building type people but they didn't bend the cards or anything and they built like a mansion and I think they he let boy scouts destroy it or something weird like that. So
2: they know. actually at Card Hollow, they did like traditional card houses once without uh without the card well, bends.
0: They no they had a card like one of the booths in the in the convention hall had a card builder there. Oh, and okay. he came out and he did so he built some stuff out at Carthala cuz he was like, "Oh, well, I should obviously hang out here if I'm not doing the other thing cuz this is apparently my thing." Right. <clears throat> so, and uh it's
1: doing what you do for a living when you're not working.
0: Yes, on uh, August 4th, while warming up before the 5th inning, Yankee Dave Winfield accidentally killed a seagull with a pitch. <laughs> accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. seagull was asking for it because <laughs> fuck seagulls. Slept with his wife.
3: <laughs> ah, ah,
2: ah. Man, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm reminded of the video reminded of the video where the pigeon is just turned into uh flowers and other and flowers feathers flowers <laughs> <laughs> let <laughs> me turn this pigeon revealed. into flowers da <laughs> da
3: da 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 boy that Chris Evansworth <laughs> is a dick
2: <laughs> where you got the pigeon that flies in front of the pigeon and there's just feathers and then nothing was,
1: yeah uh, Randy Johnson just completely annihilated that pigeon <laughs> With a 98 mile an hour fastball right to the midsection, poof!
3: <laughs> nice. Mine, mine, mine,
0: mine, <laughs> mine! It's the sound of a seagull getting hit by a pitch. <laughs> Take your base, seagull. <laughs> 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 Sir, he's dead. So, uh, also August fourth, while warming. It- oh, I already read that one. On August sixth, the Minnesota Vikings beat the Saint Louis Cardinals 28 to 10 in London, England, the first NFL exhibition game in Europe. I'm confused. It's the uh, England. It's on the other side of the ocean.
3: No, because the Vikings are football and the Cardinals are baseball, right?
0: No. No. Well, Well, I mean, the St. St. Louis Cardinals, there used to be the
1: St. Louis Cardinals football team and the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team both in St. Louis, and the Cardinals moved to Phoenix, and they are now known as the Arizona Cardinals, but the St. Louis Cardinals of baseball are still in St. Louis.
3: They couldn't come up with another name for a team?
1: Well, well they do that them? all the time. They move teams all the time. Sometimes they keep the name. Sometimes they don't. Oilers like the, left Houston and went to Tennessee and became the Titans.
3: Like the Sonics seamless. left Seattle. Like
1: Sonics left Seattle, go to Oklahoma City and become the Thunder. But then again, you got like teams like, um, um, well, for instance, the, the Cardinals that don't change their name, or the Braves. They 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 went from Buffalo to Atlanta. They didn't change their name.
2: See, I was figuring it was just the Cardinals are migratory birds, so they had to move south. Oh, yeah.
1: there's a great
3: bit about this at the beginning of Basketball, the Trey Parker, and Matt
2: Stone film.
1: There's nothing great in that movie. <laughs> that
3: whole movie is great. Shut your face, old Steve Perry.
1: I don't know
2: that I would say nothing great in that movie. That was before Jenny McCarthy went fucking nuts.
1: Yeah, yeah true. I'd still put it in her. Oh, well, yeah. I was <laughs> going to say I'd still marry her, but I don't know if I'd go that far. So Anyway, but I would marry her. What am I? Who am I kidding? I would marry her. <clears throat> I've dated crazier women that were a lot less good looking than that, and they've dated crazier men
0: that's Who were much more better looking than yes. Oh, they got the parting gift though. So, so D and <laughs> D—that's the end. I'm just gonna end this <laughs> train wreck. <laughs> yeah. This is a
2: this is a pretty important topic to us because not only between theater and Dungeons and Dragons, those are the two things that brought the four of us and most of our friends together. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like every. Yeah, but I mean we were already in the dorms when we were playing Street Fighter. Like this this is kind of how we met. Like yeah, that's gaming and I don't know, like I, almost every job I've had as an adult and most of my friendships uh, one way or another can be traced back to Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Yeah, same with me. I mean a lot of people that I uh met and still am in contact with like uh, one Lee Dillon who uh we met uh reading D&D books in grade school. So it's uh, Third. <laughs> yeah. Kind of pat. So before Dungeons and Dragons was
2: actually published as a book, it grew out of war games uh you had the traditional shall we play a game kind of like that only there are more board gamey moving around squads or units and one time in wisconsin too many people showed up to play and uh the solution was devised hey what if instead of giving you guys each squad or whatever i'm gonna give you an individual character and that's who you'll control for the evening and you'll have your objectives and, uh, the whole thing was kind of zero, non zero sum, which means that for somebody to win, somebody else doesn't necessarily have to lose. And it erupted into chaos with people ignoring objectives, scheming, talking, doing all sorts of things all night. And at the end, the guy who was running it thought it was a big disaster. And everyone else was like, that was awesome. Let's play again. <laughs> But uh, at the time, the other thing that was going on is the massive popularity of the Lord of the Rings. We're talking 1970s This is when you would start to see like Bilbo lives or Frodo lives in uh, uh, graffiti. And they decided that instead of sticking with the traditional like military war game theme, they were going to try this one character. Uh, I have my own goal sort of scenario gaming in uh, fantasy with elves and dwarves and dragons. And uh eventually they're like, you know, we could probably sell this. And the, the first rules were something that was called Chainmail, which was still very war gamey, but uh, had some basic like how to level up your character, how to equip your character and run. Them Are those through. the ones that
1: almost look like little pamphlets?
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're like little
1: half sized booklets. Yeah. I've seen those like for sale at the <laughs> auction and stuff at Gen Con.
2: Well, and they've tried to uh, reproduce thing of various miniatures games called Chainmail to try and capture that nostalgia factor. But uh like you read the original Chainmail rules and it's very, very different from uh what we know as Dungeons
0: and Dragons. Yeah, it um well as we all know Gary Gygax really likes his rules. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think the original Chainmails were, I mean, very for such a small book, there was a lot of detail in there. I mean and they were all I think wasn't weren't they all like math majors anyway? And it's like all
2: Well, they were all involved in, uh, let's see, the uh, Lake Geneva Tactical Studies Association. And uh, one of the guys was a hobby shop owner who was involved in that. Uh, It was produced in 1971 by Guidon Games. Guidon? Yeah. Uh, That sounds
1: totally like a like a made-up mafia thing like uh, yeah. like if you were like that's like the big bad evil guy at the end of the mafia playstation game on
2: <laughs> Guidon, Guidon. but yeah it was uh produced in 1971 and it was uh the biggest hit of the fledgling game publisher and it was selling over 100 copies a month and uh eventually they decided they were going to have to move it from this little gaming company to have the designers form their own company, which became Tactical Studies Rules, or
0: TSR. Yep, and uh, they went on to make D&D, D&D and, uh, God, what, what is it? Uh, Snitz A bunch of board games too that they used to sell.
2: Well, like. sure. Yeah, some <clears throat> of the Dave's, yeah, Dave Arneson, Dave Megary, uh, I think it was Megary who decided to go in a different direction and produce a board game based on dungeoneering. And, of cool. course, Gygax went with the Dungeons & Dragons 1974.
0: Yep. So, and originally when it came out in 74, there was only a little bit of what D&D is known for now. Because now you've got this whole like sp- world-spanning, different spheres of existence type of thing going on. And uh, back then, there were just three character classes versus the, how many now? Dozens. Uh, well, sometimes. yeah,
2: many dozens. If you're uh, including <clears throat> Pathfinder in the discussion, which yeah. we'll talk about later.
0: Yeah. So uh, originally there were three character classes: there was fighting man, fighting magic man, magic user, magic and, user, and cleric, and uh, four races: human, dwarf, elf, and hobbit. And uh, eventually, a certain group of uh, book-writing people had something to say about that. And
2: <laughs> Wait, Hobbit? Which is why Hobbit became Halfling. Yep. Yeah. Well, And that's the thing, is Dwarf, Elf, and Hobbit were effectively, like, separate classes
0: on their own. Yeah. Like, you weren't playing a Dwarf fighter or a Dwarf cleric. You were playing a Dwarf. Wow. And then uh, only had a few monsters and three alignments, which was Lawful, Neutral, and Chaotic. Which, then they broke that down into the nine that we have today? What, yeah. yeah. Lawful was yeah. basically good, and no. chaotic was basically
1: bad.
2: Yeah. They, they decided to separate following rules from being good and uh, disobeying rules from being bad, so you could accommodate characters like Han Solo. <clears throat> right on.
0: So, we'll skip ahead to the red box. Or you want to talk about the magenta box for a little bit?
2: Oh yeah, let's let's not pass over. So after the original white box set with a couple of booklets, you had the uh, Magenta Basic set, which was the uh, second box set and third incarnation of d and d. after the player's handbook and Dungeon Master's Guide were released as core rules separately. Uh, The magenta box uh, is interesting. While I didn't own one, uh, when I first started playing, I later picked up a bunch of them in garage sales and auctions. And some of them had these cardboard uh, little squares that had numbers on them to use in place of dice. Like, you'd throw them in a cup, and you'd pull a number out. But, like, halfway through the production run, they actually had polyhedral dice made. And these suckers, uh, they were sharp. Like, the way they were machined, you think a D4 is bad to step on now. This one, you could practically slice your thumb just, like, handling the D4 too, roughly. And I've got one of these original
0: sets. Yeah, they were pretty... They were I mean, even you can, like, run your finger along the edge and slice your thumb open with it, too, so... But um yeah so the he had the uh, the uh expert set after that which was a light blue box which like we had said uh before it takes us from basic was 1 to 4 and then 4 to 14 and uh gives you more adventures gives you more talents and things to uh have a character do uh but it wasn't until 1983 where Josh and I showed up with the red box. Mm. Yes. So how Josh well you got your red box full in 83? Uh, got, I got mine in 84. As? It okay. Showed
2: up in the fall of '83, and I uh, had had. I was in a classroom, very very small Christian school. There are like 50 kids in the entire K through 8 school. So we were in a classroom with first through third grade, and I was taught by a third grader, and he had to have Red actual Box. teachers. <laughs> Damn it, Joel! <laughs> I was taught to play D and D by a third grader. Not oh, not taught. Yeah, nice, Joel. <laughs>
3: I killed the show
2: Fine. So uh, I got my own red box um, Begged my mother to buy it for me We looked for it at Toys R Us Couldn't find it at Toys R Us And ended up having to go out to a Ford City mall Where there was a Gamer's Paradise That was run by uh, Marty A, a guy that uh, I believe all of us have met And Pat worked with Yeah, yep. And he'd walk in and he'd be like It's
0: just a teenage girl <laughs>
2: <laughs> looks, <laughs> looks just like Steve Perry to me <laughs> He did kind of look like the wedding singer
1: Yeah, just, long yeah. live Marty
0: yeah, he's still in the industry. Yeah. yeah, he's, he's not dead, but he's, he's a good guy. He is. He was, and his was, hair, hair is amazing.
1: He was good to work for and it was always fun to watch him fly away when he'd flap his hair at the end of the shift.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So mine, uh, my mom bought me the, uh, red box and blue box for Christmas. Got, she found them, said that looks like something he would like. So I got those and then immediately like jump feet first into the whole thing. I uh, learned how to play for, I mean, I spent so many times just making characters, you know, learning how to make characters over and over and over again, because I really couldn't find anybody to play with. I went to a public school back at, at that time, and uh, there was a, um, they opened up a after-school D&D game, and there was one of the, you know, one of the older kids came in and taught us how to play a game where I made my first character, whose name evades me, but uh, had uh, very high jumping skills. What? Yes, he was a jumper, and unfortunately died when he jumped onto the back of a giant spider. <laughs> <laughs>
1: he he died doing what he loved,
0: jumping. being eaten by a spider. Aww,
1: <laughs> yeah. he died, he died doing what he loved,
0: being shot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what? No, it was one of those. You know they have eight legs, right? You know there's only four of you, so I took myself out of there and, and got myself uh, chewed on by a giant spider. Jump. But no, it's. Yeah, but I mean, up until that point, I mean, I spent. Let's see, I always had a, in my in my bag thing of grid paper, drawing dungeons. in class yep. When I should have been working.
1: I used to do that all the time.
0: Yeah, making still up. Still got every dungeon
1: and every character I've ever played in in D anD. D I've got a whole file full of everything I've ever done. Oh, so wow. do. excuse me, sorry. Yeah, just a little. Yeah,
0: you know me.
1: And, and <laughs> they are in order of when I played them, so yeah.
3: Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs>
1: broken down in files according to which game I played.
3: Stop, you're making it worse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See I have my I have all my D&D stuff organized by the fact that it is all in my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good organization. That's how Mike organizes
1: everything. Is it in the
0: house? Done. Yes. In the house? Should it be in the house? Yes. Should it not be in the house? Nope. Put it out of the house. (laughs)
1: Those are your two
0: organization files. Yes. In the house or not in the house. (laughs) I'm pretty sure at this point my
2: collection has gotten to the point where I have to have separate bookshelves for editions of the game. Like first and second edition is a shelf.
1: I have two full bookshelves full of stuff for my D&D game but like, it's not all books it's like all the props all the miniatures everything
2: like a quarter of a
3: box maybe
0: damn
3: wow when did
0: you start playing joel
3: uh, i didn't actually start until second edition i uh inherited a couple of things from my brother from the the magenta and red but i actually first played when second edition came out when i hooked up with uh matt and matt and then a friend of ours john and my friend chris who you you know all of those guys except john um and I created my first character, which was a cleric named Tarek. Yes, Tarek the cleric. <laughs> Tarek the cleric. Um, Tarek Vondredes was his name. and he was, be,
1: That's better than Shane Hoffman's first character he ever made. Remember that which, character name, Josh?
3: Uh,
2: vaguely. Barbarian? Was it, wait, was it Depeche?
1: Yes! Depeche, oh, that's Depeche
2: right. the elf. I mean, I'm no one to talk. I, I was My first character was a thief named Thief. We didn't quite get it.
3: You should have called him James Caan. That would have made more sense. Pat will get that joke. Yes. Um, but, yeah, no, I, that's how I got yeah. into it. And and I remember one of my favorite things to do was to, you know, we meet at John's house and i bring over a case, literally
0: 24 cans of, of Coke, um, a bag of chips. <laughs> and drink them all yourself, you <laughs> bastard. I did. Just staring him right in the eye while you drank every single one of them.
3: I did because everybody brought their own case of whatever they drank. Uh, so there was what? Mountain Dew. We'd play for eight hours or more. Um and then it we'd have every
1: twenty minutes
3: about <laughs> noon. We'd no wonder I was fat. Noon we'd go <laughs> we'd go out to Taco Bell. We'd buy some foods. It was cheap, and Then we'd come back and we'd play some more. And uh, I mean, it was at least eight to ten hours. It was on a Saturday, and it was always a good time. And I was fat. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And th- my, and that's weird because, like, while I started almost six years before you started playing, it was so difficult for me to get people to play with me that,
3: uh, <laughs> <laughs> <like> <laughs> <on your neck. laughs>
2: none of my friends were into it. Like, my first couple games, I had to drag, like, my brother, my dad, and the neighborhood kids, and they were not into it. Uh, I played a little bit at my elementary school, but, uh, right before <laughs> high school, uh, We only got a few sessions in in high school. I did meet some gamers and played with some high school friends, but I was mostly doing convention gaming from 1989 forward. I uh, got myself a second edition player's handbook and I was doing tournament gaming, both classic and like Living City at Gen Con and (coughs) later Origins and Winter Fantasy. And yeah, I was a tournament player from the time I was like 14, 15 years old. I'm imagining wow. your dad's like created
3: this like barbarian massive character and his name's like Frank.
2: I think <laughs> my brother created a fighter and he was like Bulls. It's like his character's name is Bulls, like plural? Yeah, yeah well like the sports team cuz Right. Mm.
1: Oh, <laughs> like, oh. Huh. And I he just played, played guy with, in my game and he's already out. He played one session. He had a character named Bovine the Bear.
2: That's not the stupidest character I've ever heard of. I played a living character.
1: That's I haven't read the background.
2: <laughs> Dude, I played a Did. living city... Please tell me
0: it was a cow that got transmorphed into a bear.
1: No, it's not that good.
2: I played a living city session with a guy named Uncle Spaghetti.
0: <laughs> Dude, I love his restaurant. <laughs>
2: there were... There were like three guys who showed up with these min-maxed characters with uh, binders and binders full of magical item certificates, and they were just like, they want to kill stuff. We got to the beginning of the session, and one guy's like, I don't like talking. Let's just wait till like, well, I'll start doing stuff when we get to killing stuff. And I was playing the bard Delarian Rothschild, and I'm like, oh, this this is really not going to go so well.
1: Yeah, you're basically like on a mission with Animal Mother. from,
2: <laughs> And there were three of them.
1: Oh my god! Uncle Spaghetti, oh. like
2: his table tent, like had a stick figure with a crudely domed sword with t- blood dripping from
0: the edge of it. Oh, Jeebus! So I, w- I would have been impressed if his character's mini was like made out of spaghetti.
1: <laughs> it's it's <you> silly Jerry.
3: <laughs> and this is my this is my friend over here. This Aunt Jemima, you know, we we play together.
1: Oh my! God. And this is my daughter Betty Crocker. No, Betty Spaghetti.
2: Oh,
3: yeah. yours is better,
2: Pat. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and at this point, this was when you used to vote for who was the best role player at the table. And uh, me and another guy that were actually interested in, like, playing as our characters, we went and stood up to, like, get some water. And we're like, yeah, those retards are going to vote for each other. Oh, for the best player. Because
0: <laughs> yeah. they want the plus one die bump soon. <clears throat> uh, that's just... Uh, yeah. I, always in- I always really enjoyed the the role actual role playing I mean being able to especially when you go into a situation where we're like playing in tournament situa- tournament games where you don't know what you're gonna get until you open that envelope. Like at Winter Fantasy when I got uh, the eighty three year old uh um female cleric. It's like awesome. And role playing off <laughs> role playing counts in this. I know it does. So I'll be and- b Arthur. Oh, that would be pretty cool.
2: Those original classics, I mean, that's kind of how they were. Like, yeah, your combat didn't matter. Like, maybe you'd roll some dice sometimes, but most of the time you were just sitting down and playing the character you were given. And it was mostly just talking and interacting with, like, what you knew about the other characters. Uh, Sometimes you'd get through two or three encounters, and then you'd run out of time, and you'd vote for who played best.
1: Yeah, I remember those days. I kind of got my start, though. Uh, Well, you know, you guys, like you said, you got your parents. They bought you things and stuff. And uh, my mother, my father didn't necessarily care. He didn't understand the whole obsession with, you know, sci-fi and fantasy and everything. But he didn't care Either he didn't stop me, but my mother was a a church worker and she felt it was like not in her best interest, um, career wise to be buying me Dungeons and Dragons stuff. But she did. My parents have never been the kind to like tell you know me that I couldn't do anything, yeah. So it was up, it was up to me to get my own. What? That's right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What I thought anyway.
1: (laughs) It was up to me to get my own Dungeons and Dragons stuff. They wouldn't stop me from getting it and they wouldn't they, they let me, you know, do all the stuff and, you know, and create all the dungeons and the worlds and the castles and whatever I did all the time just sitting around by myself cuz I too didn't have anybody to play with when I was younger. I just made all the worlds and stuff. Every now and then I would get my sister and, you know, to play, but um so yeah, I just piecemealed all my stuff together through like garage sales and half price books and, and where, wherever I could find anything. So I've got a I've still got everything I've ever bought, Dungeons and Dragons Wise. And nice. it's like just it's 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 such a hodgepodge of everything, just because I had I, I couldn't buy anything. The first box that I ever bought of the full thing myself was at Gen Con, actually, believe it or not, it was Ravenloft.
0: I like Ravenloft.
2: Yeah, it was an interesting setting. I mean it was a module first, but mm-hmm. And then my
1: first, then my first character ever was uh, <clears throat> was a thief named uh Felonius, who I kinda uh, brought back and created a, as a companion character for a later character named Toad.
2: Did you remake him as a monk.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was actually true.
1: Yep. I should have. It would have been awesome, but no. He stayed a thief. I thought it was funny. To like you know take the name Thelonius and make it felon and Thelonious. you know I thought it was a clever name for a thief, but it would have been much cleverer if he had been a monk. Much more clever. If been
2: a monk. <laughs> so around ninety five we've got AD and D Second Edition, and this is uh, revised. This is where you go from the book with like the full color Elmore art to the uh, like uh, black bordered books. They were going for a unified look with them, and mm-hmm. yeah, the, like the Players Options books at the same time. But at this point, they were just publishing to get their uh, themselves out of a financial crisis, basically. Because you'd had Gary Gygax was forced out after having hired on uh, Lorraine Williams, who was uh, basically a well-regarded like financial manager, but she had no idea about the gaming business or or was not a fan of games. Not a fan of gamers. She really wanted to like bring her family legacy, which was like Buck Rogers into TSR, and there were just production problems, cost overruns, and she did not want to sell the company, uh, despite the fact that she was running it into the ground. And uh, eventually that led to its acquisition by uh, Wizards of the Coast through Peter Atkinson, a deal that was uh, supposedly uh, brokered on the side by Ryan Dancy. Uh, one of the guys who was in Five Rings Publishing at the time and who was kind of the godfather of the D20 system. Like, he didn't write it, but he was instrumental in making sure that the open gaming license stayed open. And we're going to talk more about third edition and D20 and the OGL in the second half of the show. But he kind yep. of went... Uh, to Lorraine and was like, if I can get you $25 million for your company, no questions asked, will you take it? And she was desperate, so yeah. And he ended up getting, uh, supposedly, this is all anecd- industry anecdote, uh, $5 million for his own company, Five Rings Publishing, which is why Wizards of the Coast acquired Five Rings and
0: uh, a TSR at about the same time. Yeah, because it's, it's always good if you're going to bring somebody in to uh, handle a company, somebody who has absolutely no passion or desire to You know, of the the topic of what the company's for reminds me of many district managers I've worked for. Well, yeah, and
2: she forced out Gygax in like a a board takeover, pushed him off the board and out of the company. And later she tried to play hardball with the big box retailers that were like, oh, this is how you're going to run your business. Fine. We're shipping you back all your product and we are invoking our refund clause in our contract. You now owe us millions. Wow. Yeah. She failed her dexterity check.
0: (laughs) Charisma. That wow, too. that's terrible. That's, I mean, that's just, uh, an ass play the entire, I mean, just. <laughs> You're going just, with I can't, ass play, huh? Yeah, mm, that's going with happened? ass play. See, that's what happens when you stop paying attention for a second, Pat. You, you don't pay attention. <laughs> what was that?
1: It was me laughing at you. I was, was think was some ass no. play.
0: Oh, yeah, that's what it sounded like. <laughs> so, pre 2000s, going across, we had a whole bunch of different, um, Worlds to play it like we had recently uh, talked about Ravenloft. What out of those was your favorite? Oh,
1: mine was Ravenloft, actually.
0: Yeah, I I actually dug up uh, the Domains of Dread rulebook that I had down like out of the house. <laughs> well,
3: when when I was playing, uh, that was right around the time when Dark Sun came out, and I was bound to determine I wanted my own setting because we played. Um, different settings with with the the John campaign that I was in for most of my high school years, and I wanted to do my own thing. And I actually I've DM'd a couple sessions. Uh, I've done maybe three total DMing sessions, uh, one involving cobalt underwear. But anyway, I bought the box set and I ran it, and I really liked the world, but it never really caught on. But for me, my favorite would be uh, Forgotten Realms. That's what we played the majority of. It was kind of a homebrew version of it, but that was the
0: basic setting. What about you, Pat? You said you liked Ravenloft. Why? Vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Vampires. I, like.
1: I mean, just the whole gothic horror setting is just, I mean, I just, I, I like that a lot. That's why I liked playing Vampire the <laughs> couple times I did play it.
0: Yeah, and Strahd is actually a great villain. Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I think that for me, I, while I mostly DM'd in the world of Mistara, which was the default setting for Dungeons and Dragons before they tacked advanced onto it, um, and I probably played more in Greyhawk than anywhere else. My favorite setting from those early days was a subset of Ravenloft, uh, called Mask of the Red Death that was set in like a, uh, alternate 1890s with magic and like monsters, gothic earth. Um, some of the designers on that. I, I know Shane Lacey Hensley, who went on to work on, uh, Deadlands. That's his big thing. And, uh, Savage World. So he yeah, had a lot to do with the creation of the early Red Death stuff. Yeah. Planescape was a lot of fun too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all like the, uh, afterlives and planes. You had the sigil, the city at the center of everywhere and all
0: of the different mm-hmm. factions that were ruled over by, uh, the Queen of Blades. Yep. I mean, the, uh, the, pretty much what they couldn't use the words demon and angels, but they had them floating around there. Though I forget what the, wor- the real names were for them in the books.
2: Yeah. They started with demons and devils and then got away from that and called them other things. Like they'd have their individual names, uh, rather than like this is a type four demon. All of a sudden that's a uh, biotazoo or I-, I might have that one wrong.
0: No, you're right. That's a batsu.
2: Yeah. So that was weird until they just got to the point in the 90s where they're like people don't care about the whole demon devil thing we're bringing demons and devils back yeah yep
0: good times so but uh but yeah uh, one of the other things that is eventually going to happen is um calculating Thco mm-hmm. that eventually goes away Thacko, two hit armor class zero yeah we're Josh. gonna talk we're gonna talk some more about
2: that uh in the second half of the show when we're uh, talking about third edition. Yeah. So less in these uh, sunlight of uh, the dying embers of second edition, you had the uh, combat and tactics and skills and powers books, which we played with a little bit in college and post college, where you'd have like sub attributes for each of the major six attributes and uh, all sorts of additional things. You'd start to see the framework for what would later become third edition sort of come out a little bit here.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking. I I drifted away. I was looking at the Planescape um, art, and I realized that a lot of it was done by uh, Tony Lizzi. Oh yeah, yeah. He was the main
2: graphic designer, and uh, they've tried to do Planescape since. And if Lizzi doesn't come back, I don't think it'll ever be the same.
0: No, because his stuff is so good. It just fits the theme so well, and that's it. That's that's the thing. It's like all his. I mean, he. If you don't know who he is, um, the books, uh, Spiderwick series. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did all the art for Spiderwick, so huh. and I think was one of the art one of the uh, authors too. He was a co author of the Spiderwick series of books. So
2: All right. Well, I I mean, I think we've kind of handled the history of Dungeons & Dragons and our uh, history playing it. Uh, We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the first big edition war, third edition, and uh, later uh, Pathfinder, and uh, how we're playing now. And we'll even get some clips from us playing a little bit for the first time in a long time from uh, this Gen Con. Right on. So we will uh, be back in a little bit. We're back. Uh, in the first half, we mostly confined what we were talking about to the Dungeons and Dragons and AD&D. But something happened uh, after our college years that was pretty big. This is going to be the time when Mike and I were both actually in the gaming industry at the, first time, at the same time. Yep. And uh, the only industry event, I think, in the entire – I was in the industry for almost a decade, and you were there for uh, – uh, Maybe two, three years, and if. in those in the years that we had an overlap, there's only one event I can recall us both going to and both being at, and that would have been the first big uh edition war which was precipitated by the uh introduction of third edition of Dungeons and Dragons, and that announcement I remember we were like in a hotel downtown,
0: yep, remember that right on uh, Michigan avenue uh a
1: big spoon.
2: Yeah, we didn't have a room. There was like oh, it was an
0: afternoon, dude. It (laughs) wasn't afternoon delight. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. You're Uh, right. In the first half, I let's just get this uh, out of the way. You're right, Pat. We were having sex. There you go.
2: Now Pat's happy. I mentioned a name in the first half, uh, Ryan Dancy, who was involved in the brokering of the deal to get uh, TSR picked up by Wizards of the Coast. Well, he was the guy who actually put on the whole announcement. And one of the big things was the open gaming license and the D20, this whole concept that they're going to relaunch with – we love D&D. But it was kind of a mess. You had to sometimes roll high, sometimes roll low, sometimes big numbers were good, sometimes little numbers were good.
1: Trying to explain it to anybody that didn't grow up with it was a nightmare. Yeah. yeah,
2: like I can still do Thaco in your head. It's two hit armor class 0. I have a Thaco of 12. I have to hit an AC of negative 3. Okay, I need to roll a 15. Mhm. I can still do that and that's a skill that's like not even relevant to any it's not even relevant to other nerds anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you say totally. fat go to nerds now and most of them don't don't even know what you're talking about anymore.
2: Yeah. And uh they basically said, All right, we're gonna streamline this. We're gonna make we're gonna rebalance the classes. We're gonna make it so if you're trying to do something, you're going to be mostly rolling the twenty sided die. Because yeah, uh,
1: monks, monks got insanely powerful. Yeah. They got they got out of control.
2: <laughs> uh everyone's gonna have the same progression. There's not gonna be some classes that top out at thirteenth level. Um High numbers are always good. You always want high numbers on your character sheet, and you always want to roll high numbers.
0: Yep, I I was in favor of it. I really enjoyed the changeover on it. It was nice to see. First off, Thacko and all that sort of thing it was nice to see it go away. In my opinion, because it was it was clunky.
2: Yeah, I remember getting the playtest copy of the player's handbook, and I was immediately sold from the first my first read through. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I I really do think it did help contribute. You know, kind of almost. Just to you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, dumbing down D and D kind of helped attract new people and kind of helped with the whole nerd renaissance we're having right now.
2: Right. Although I don't know that uh, it's accurate to say that uh, by the time you got all the kit books in and all the combat systems fleshed out, that uh, third edition is dumbed down as compared to second.
0: I won't say, I didn't say dumbed down. I don't think no, it's I dumbed did. down. I oh, said you it. did. Pat did. Oh. And, and I just took issue with that phrasing
2: because I actually think that tactically, it's a much more complex system. Building a character, it's a more complex system. The only thing that's easier is not having to remember
0: whether high numbers or low numbers are good in a particular situation. Mm-hmm. I think it's like I said, it streamlined it, made it easier to play. You were able to have more fun playing the yeah, game. That, that,
1: that's more correct, streamlined rather than dumbed down, I guess.
0: Yeah, and it did
2: make it so that needing miniatures in a battle mat, like most of the time you just sit around a table and say what you did and then roll some dice because it didn't really matter where you were. You were where you imagined yourself to be. Mm-hmm. I walk over to the monster and I hit it. Well, the tactical combat that came out of 3rd Edition changed all that. Are you being flanked? Yeah, I need to know where my piece is and where his piece is. Can I
0: reach that piece? Uh, is there somebody on the other side of that piece? That These things mattered. If I move from here to here, they're going to be an attack of opportunity, that sort of thing. I mean, all sorts uh-huh. of new stuff kicked in. Uh, I actually demoed 3rd Edition at wizard world when it came out um which was a lot of fun went through players pre-gens ran through the initial learning how to do combat and basic uh basic fighting out of that one which was that was a good weekend um the other sad part is is that the dungeons and dragons movie was no. released in sync yeah. with the third edition because of course third edition is awesome and everyone's gonna love it so naturally we should have a wines brother in a uh, movie that mike being the closest uh ts not ts or wizards of the coast store to a movie theater then had to put up a display of how to play dnd at the movie theater are you serious i am dead serious they Ugh, had a... never heard this before oh my god wizards of the coast called they're like how many of you are next to a theater how many of you are in the malls you're in are within a you know reach of a theater and uh, I was like, yeah, there's one, like, I could see it from, like, when I walked out of this, you know, it's right there. I have a movie theater. Awesome. We're going to send a bunch of stuff. They sent, like, six cases of books Jeez. to the theater. And we're like, all the stuff's going to be there. You're going to have a booth. You're going to sit up and teach people how to play D and D opening night. And, oh my, gosh. And, oh my God. I, and, and you know what? In <laughs> all honesty, I went out there. I set up the table and the, the people that worked at the theater were like, what are you doing i'm like i'm supposed to be (laughs) teaching people how to play this game the people that come to see this movie and they're like dude no one's going to come to see this movie and i'm like that is my only redeeming moment of this entire situation is that no one's going to come see this movie because it's that terrible and i was was maybe like three or four people that showed up and about i was supposed to god they were like you're supposed to be there till nine at night and i got there at five and at five forty-five, i was like i am out Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wow. am out of here so bad right now because I am not going to sit here all damn night. Just, you know, and then when the people come in to see the real movies, you know, what the hell? They're going to, you know, I'm going to get those questions. I'm staring at me and then they're going to burn my table down. Uh, the cool thing is I now have a uh, seven and a half foot wide Dungeons and Dragons banner and uh, other sort of media cool stuff that they had sent posters you see they're, they're
1: making they're making another dungeons and dragons movie no. yep
0: it was just announced yeah yep. oh
3: god no they're rebooting it they're not continuing the series
1: yeah they're they're gonna give it an
2: actual budget with
1: oh this good March. yeah this one this one they, they cast uh marlon wayans in the lead instead of the sidekick yes <laughs> and <laughs> awesome. they
0: added damon wayans too and they're, gonna, they're, they're s-
1: gonna fix the problems from the first one
0: yeah they're gonna bring jeremy irons more to the front <laughs> so. much to the front yeah so that's my third edition memory right there wow
3: that's awesomely terrible
1: yeah
2: it was just terrible yeah and i remember in this era i was since i was kind of an evangelist for this system like i said i was sold from day one i was dragging people kicking and screaming to play third edition like i pat was one of them he he wanted to stick with second for a while yep and uh to drag i don't him,
1: exchange damn it <laughs>
2: kicking, and screaming into the modern era.
1: But then I fell in love with 3.5. So
2: yeah, and uh, that uh, game that had been running for ten years, like it switched over. But I ended up having to run it. Like I, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we're doing third edition. You're the DM.
1: Here we go. Well, then convert all of us, jackass. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, we we rebooted
2: characters, and I I ran for many, many years until I just uh, took too much on at once. And I was running, like, four games and playing in six more, and it was just a mess. And I burned out and, like, canceled everything.
1: Yeah, that was right about the point when my game collapsed.
2: Yeah, because we we did a conversion fairly early on to your game. Yep. from second to yeah, we, third. We'd only,
1: yeah, we'd only played like four sessions when we converted. So, Bobby and around- yeah, I both kind of burnt out at the same time, and my campaign just kind of collapsed.
2: <laughs> yeah. And what's kind of funny is this is around the time the home games, uh, maybe not everywhere worldwide, but in our extended group of friends, like all the home games were dying, which is mm-hmm. good in a way because we discovered something that had kind of been there in second edition, like Living City was a thing, but the Living Campaign was the next big thing. Living Greyhawk. Uh, we mentioned in passing that Mike and I uh, discovered Living Greyhawk going to Winter Fantasy, Yep, playing the Temple of Elemental Evil, but this idea that you didn't have one game where you had like five players and a dungeon master who are always the same and It would continue. Instead, you'd have your character, and you could travel from place to place, whether at a store, at a home play session, or a convention, Mm -hmm. and your character would always keep whatever you found. You'd always get the experience for completing the adventure, but you'd have paperwork tracking and proving, okay, you found this magic item. You got this much gold. You got this much experience, and there are all these certificates that had to be signed off on by the person who ran you for all the, like, cool magic stuff you found. And you'd collect them in these binders, and we did this for years, like eight, nine years,
1: and things that you did actually affected you know other people in the world, and yeah mm-hmm. like you got credit for different for finishing different quests.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think also the plot line of the whole series changed depending on how with the outcome of all the different uh adventures.
2: Well, a later uh, one after Living Greyhawk that was called Living Arcanus, which is a very much darker world uh, with, like, echoes of the Roman Empire and other things going on. Uh, One of the big races was uh, the Val, and the Val had celestial blood. There were these angel things called Valinor that uh, had lent part of their divine power to these incredibly powerful houses that became like rulers over normal humans. They were smarter, they were more beautiful, they had access to psionics. And uh, at the end of the first year of living Arcanus, there was a big tournament at Gen Con. And myself and five other people uh went through the three rounds of the tournament, we won the tournament, and at the end, uh a Valinor died in our arms, transferred her power to us, and the six of us became the first new family of Val to appear on the continent in hundreds of years. Huh. Uh our our characters became famous both in the world throughout the published materials and in the living campaign. Like everybody knew who the Val were uh everyone had a pretty good idea they might not have been able to pick me out of the crowd and say oh you were Locke. you're the rogue but they knew that there was a rogue named Locke valsosi in the family so oh, that That's was really cool. cool yeah uh and actually if uh it wasn't for living arcanus i never would have met my wife oh wow well, well. yeah i uh it so was- that was gen con 2006 uh, it was Origins 2006 where we first met,
3: actually. Oh, the kiss was at the Gen Con.
2: Yeah, yeah we uh, met in, at Origins and uh, started dating in between Origins and Gen Con. And yeah, got our hotel room together for Gen Con. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she she approached me while I was out in between uh, combats or whatever, having a cigarette. And she smoked as well and started talking. And yeah, we're coming up on eight years married now.
1: Cool. Nice.
2: Bow chicka bow, bow. On occasion.
0: How chicka how So, uh, three point five came out after the third edition. It was about. It was two thousand and three, and this kind of just tailored up the rules a bit. Is the best way I can is can put it. It's like three third edition came out. Three point five kind of trimmed the fat. Yeah, it was like a patch,
2: like you might see on software. I was like, eh, these things are broken and need to be rebalanced. This system doesn't work. But uh, it was like 1st edition to 2nd edition was pretty close. 3rd edition to 3.5 was even closer than that. It wasn't this major tectonic shift you had between 2nd edition, Advanced Dungeons and & Dragons, and 3rd edition.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and but 3.5 also... Because of the open gaming license gave rise to Pathfinder, right?
2: Well, basically what happened is as you went from third edition, you had the D20 license, which meant anyone could print adventure scenarios, but no one was allowed to redo a core rulebook. They couldn't tell you how to make characters. They couldn't tell you how to advance them. Um, they got to a point at with 3.5 where I think some of the people at Wizards of the Coast, and especially after Hasbro acquired Wizards of the Coast, where they're like, what's this open gaming license where you've got this intellectual property and other people are making money off of it? And they started getting nervous about the whole thing. But Ryan Dancy wrote it so it could survive. Like, even if the worst should happen, you could always fall back on the open gaming license, and this version of D&D would endure was by design. So 3.5 came out, and they tried to tinker with the open gaming license. They took certain monsters out of the OGL. Uh, I want to say mind flayers disappear. There were a few others. So you couldn't make a module or do a campaign setting that had mind flayers in it if you weren't Wizards of the Coast anymore. And uh, then they announced that they were working on 4th edition D&D. And 4th was going to be super different. Yes, it was. And some people who saw the original playtest of fourth were just like, I don't know about this direction you're taking things. You're borrowing a lot from video games and it just it doesn't feel like D and D anymore. And they're like, well, what about the D20 license? What, what would happen if we would still used that and the company paizo that had taken over dungeon and dragon magazine and had done a bunch of cool adventures uh approached wizards and said listen you're doing your own thing with fourth but there are a lot of people that love third aren't gonna like the new direction and we think that there's still some game here if you'll expand give us a license to Print a core rulebook. We'll call it something else. Uh, Put character generation in it. Put character creation in it. And we'll take the skeleton by 3.5 and we'll make our own game. And they struck a deal. I, I still don't know, like, how much horse trading was done to make that thing happen. But oh, the result was what some people call Dungeons & Dragons 3.75 or, <laughs> as it's more commonly hmm. known,
0: Pathfinder. Yep. Hmm. And Pathfinder is what we play today.
2: (laughs) Yeah, because there was a huge edition war. Like, a lot of the new players got into fourth edition and saw all of this, oh, I've got daily powers, and I've got encounter powers, and... Uh, it's like World of Warcraft, where I have a specialization for my character and all this stuff. And a lot of us who have been playing for 10, 20 years is like, yeah, it's got this stuff, but I, I don't want that stuff.
0: Yeah. That's I like speci- the stuff I've got. It was like it it basically turned combat into a four-button controller. Well Not a you lot can, of ways you can do this once a combat you can do this three times a combat tell us when you're going to do A tell us when you're going to do B tell us when you're going to do C and, and you can this like, one, do combos and stuff yeah <laughs> are you yeah. serious yep Yeah.
2: and this one you can do once huh. per day and that is the most significant it's like which of these fights is so important I have to use my once per day ability yep and it's not that you can't create different characters. There are some interesting ideas in Fourth Edition, but I realized after trying, is like this: this isn't my D D anymore.
0: But Pathfinder I've, is.
1: I've never played Fourth Edition.
0: I played or fifth, one.
1: Really, I, when we get to that, I haven't yeah. tried it
0: yet. I, I, um, I've played Fourth Edition. I played a couple games Fourth Edition with Charlie, uh, uh who owns the Gaming Goat store out in Oak Park uh, now, which mm-hmm. is and um. I thought you meant the Charlie. Yes. No, not that, Charlie. The other Charlie. Much <laughs> not, have, a, a much I've nicer Charlie. Pa- I had never played
1: Pathfinder until we played it with Joe. Uh,
2: and, yeah, we played it very rules light. Uh One of the things about Pathfinder is they took a real hard look at what people liked about 3.5 and said, let's do more of that. Let's allow you to customize your rogue. You want to take out the trap finding ability and give him the ability to have your sneak attack dice be D8s, but only if you're using a dagger. Cool. You are now a dagger master rogue. Mm-hmm. And they allowed you to further customize your classes, give you more prestige classes to work towards, uh, decided that certain classes were underpowered, other classes were overpowered, certain spells were too powerful, others needed to be buffed. And they just like smoothed it all out. <coughs> uh, it is different enough from 3.5 that sometimes I still get caught by stuff I'm pretty sure I know and I'm wrong. But uh, most of the time, if you know how to play d and 3rd Edition, you already know 60 to 70% of Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Your stats are all the same. You have one or two new ones. They've simplified all of the like bull rush, disarm, trip, grapple into one stat called the combat maneuver role and you have a combat maneuver defense that it tests against. So that, that's the big difference. Everything
0: yeah. else is just more. And they built a nice world around it too. I mean, they, they definitely, you have the recurring characters that you see, uh, in the rule books that you see on little tokens when you get the beginner boxes. So everything is familiar. They stick with the same art style. That's one of the thing, other things that I like is that you're not going to see, um, the art style is not going to change from book to book. They've made a very good, uh, attempt at not even attempt, but they've made, they've done very well at making sure that you know when something is a pathfinder, uh, Module or Pathfinder adventure, and they've even gone as far to doing almost a living like a living Arcanus type thing, where you have uh, Pathfinder uh, events where it runs just like the old Living City stuff.
2: Yep, it's Pathfinder Society. Yep. Other awesome thing that they're doing is every year they come out with what they call an adventure path. It's a series of six adventure books called modules, which we may have mentioned in the first half. Uh, But these modules will all be one continuous story and they'll take your characters from first level to 20th. Yep. By the time you've played through them, like uh, I'm running one now that's called Skull and Shackles, and you're all pirates. You start out having been press ganged uh, into being swabbies on a terrible pirate ship where you're constantly getting whipped for just doing minor infractions. And by the end of the campaign, you're these 20th level pirate fleet admirals who are determining the balance of nations because uh, you are directing the entire pirate council Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm actually getting ready to play another one. I actually created a Pathfinder character just today. This is new. I didn't even tell you guys this yet. Um, I'm getting ready to play one called Giant Slayer where you're in this like remote mountainous area and giants are going to go to war and they are uniting the orcs. So as you go through the modules, you are fighting the different tribes as you go up and I I made a gnome cleric of a lawful good god of like cities, order, civilization. Basically I, I've determined my character is like half Indiana Jones, half Adrian Monk.
1: <laughs>
2: Very so, No, this belongs there. And that belongs in a museum.
0: <laughs> so what about you, Pat? Have you uh, you've tried to do some Pathfinder stuff, uh out well, when, the
1: Pathfinder stuff was, you know, the, the only time I played Pathfinder was, like I said, in, in Joe's campaign where you and I played the Gnome brothers, yep. Bick Bicklewick and Fizz Fizzlewick. Yes, that was a riot.
2: That was an adventure path, too. That was the Kingmaker adventure path. Mm-hmm.
1: Unfortunately, I moved from the from Chicago and my character had to turn into an NPC.
0: I think, honestly, that was better for everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> He lives on. He lives on in, he, he in Rivulquen now. I've, I've turned him into a plane jumper, where he just goes from plane to plane.
0: It's okay. And in in the one, the games that we we're playing at the end, he wound up getting locked in a tower for knocking up a king's daughter. That sounds that about sounds right. right. Yeah, ah,
1: we
2: said the same thing.
0: So yeah. I, th- yeah, I'm pretty sure that game just died because too many people moved away. Yeah. So has anybody played? It's going back to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I played a little bit of Fourth Edition. I have never went back after I discovered Pathfinder, but has any of us tried, uh, what is it, d d Now? Is that what they're calling it? That's the fifth edition? Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh, I've read a lot of the articles,
2: and there are some things about it that have me intrigued. Like, they talk about the concept of bonded accuracy, which basically means, like, as it has always worked in DD and and Pathfinder, when you're at first level, you kind of suck. You have to roll, like, a 14 or better to do anything, because you've got, like, a plus one and you don't even do much damage. So all of the adventures are like, okay, we're going to put you against these really easy monsters and give you easy rolls because you're very fragile. In D&D Now, they've basically said, all right, we're going to give you bonuses to hit at a very slower rate, but to compensate, you're going to have a pretty decent chance of hitting so long as you roll good. So at like first level, you're a little more of a badass. You roll a 12 or a 13, you probably hit. And as things get tougher, rather than giving the making them harder to hit, they make you do more damage and they give them more hit points. So there's that whole concept of like you're not mechanically moving up in such a linear progression. And I th- I found that kind of interesting where it's not just like, oh, I have to bonk rats and kobolds on the head because I'm first level and anything else kills me um but i don't know the thing for so there's Miege a little is, more
1: freedom in the in the low level adventures than to make a harder adventure
2: yes and uh, there's a little bit more balanced progression all the way up uh their design i i found really fascinating and i think that they saw what they did with fourth that people didn't like and decided to dial it back and move back in the direction of third but my question is who is this for because everyone who liked 3rd already jumped ship and pieced out to Pathfinder. Yep. And anyone who stuck around was perfectly happy with the direction they were going with 4th.
1: Well, the marketing and everything that they did, it almost seems like they're just trying to create an entire new fan base.
2: Yeah. Like, screw because all you guys. They definitely
1: weren't, in, in their marketing, they definitely weren't targeting players that were already playing D&D. They were almost, like, introducing it like it's a new game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, come check out Dungeons & Dragons.
0: It's not like all those old Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it's a, it's a now Dungeons and Dragons. It's yeah. now it's hip. It's the thing. Now it I, has
2: Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> I just think um, um one of the things you can tell is about how the presence and the popularity of Dungeons and Dragons over over things like Pathfinder have changed over the years. Because think about what the Wizards of the Coast booth looked like in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. It was immense. There was, Big
1: castle,
0: yeah. D20 it, it, the size of a car. Oh, yeah. It, it, was, it, it yeah. was like 15% of the
1: entire hole. Yeah. Now, we just I got
0: remember. back from Gen Con 2015. Where was the Wizards of the Coast booth? I, didn't I don't think
1: they, they didn't have one. I looked on the map.
0: Right. They didn't so there is your explanation <laughs> on how people are receiving this sort of thing. Because, it I mean, they used to have, I mean, it was just a couple years ago where there was giant statues of Drizzt Dorden and that sort of thing all around there. You know, they had D&D games going on, live action ones where you would stand on the on the squares and learn how to play combat that way. I haven't seen Wizards around in quite a few years. I think they have abandoned
2: the convention game. Like, after Living Greyhawk died, they tried to go in some different directions. They had a couple of, oh, we're going to do a season of this legacy of the green region that's all going to be in Forgotten Realms, and no one gave a shit. Yeah. Aww. Then they tried some other things. They tried Living Forgotten Realms, and very few people gave a shit. Yeah. And— Pathfinder Society was doing so well that I think that Hasbro was pressuring them to say, you know what, if the convention gamers aren't giving you money, stop spending money going to conventions and supporting them.
0: Yep. And, uh, another one of the things that they tried, they re-released, uh, the red box a couple years ago. Yeah. That was that picture that you oh. posted to the link to the chat, Joel, was the oh. new red box. And I was like, I was all excited because I'm like, awesome. The red box is coming out again. It's going to be the rule book. It's going to have the book on how to run, on how to, uh, create a character and how to play the game. It's going to have a booklet on how to run the game. And I'll be able to sit down with my girls and make up some characters and run some basic games with them. Wrong. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book. Oh, yeah, and you start out and you're like, you know you come across, you're walking across the uh the 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 path or whatever you hear a wagon coming up around the corner. What do you do do you do you hide? do you stand your ground? Do you call up to them first? And as you play through this, it's supposed to determine your style of play, and by the end of it, it's like you play like a thief. you should roll really, this is your thief character, and then there is the one solo adventure that's in there. Ew. Yeah, and I was really aggravated at that. And then I got the Pathfinder Beginner Box, which had a great starter adventure, a whole bunch of little tokens to play with, pre-gen characters. In fact, I think Pat uh, played uh, played with uh, my girls and me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that Sophie learned not to drink from the fountain. Yeah, that was great. She got <laughs> it's like
1: she almost like the first thing that happens is she it almost makes her start crying. We're like, okay, all right, take a step back. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was like you walk into the room. I ru- what do you see? I see a door. You see the door over here. I run into that room. Oh, you do, do you? <laughs> do you happen to duck as soon as you walk into that room? No. I was like rewind. <laughs> Let's talk about planning. So, but no, that I mean it's and the Pathfinder uh beginner box versus the the new red box just miles beyond. Uh, beyond what what it should have been. I mean, the, the Pathfinder box was meant for multiple players all sitting down at a table and learning the game together. Whereas the Dungeons and Dragons red box, which sh- should have been a beginner box, was, here, you buy this box, you go through it, check off right in the book on where you make your decisions and that sort of thing, and then fill out this form at the end. Uh, You're a fighter! Hooray! And if your friend bought this box also, and when he's done reading it, you can maybe find a couple other people, get together, and have a game. So but,
1: it basically, it sounds like a Cosmo quiz.
0: Yeah. I was actually
2: thinking is that quiz that the uh, guidance counselor gave you in high yeah. school.
0: Yeah. It, it's exactly what it is. It was uh, a... Was a um a life setup a vocation game. a voc Yeah, yeah I, a don't vo- w- I don't
1: want to take a vocation quiz when I want to play D anD D.
0: That's exactly Hooray what it was for but, <laughs> but the uh, I, just,
1: I just read this uh, funny enough uh, looking on Reddit real quick um in the D anD D subreddit somebody put this up. They said they ran across a quass ran across this quote in an old book said from Gary Gygax said. The ultimate aim of the game of Dungeons and Dragons is to gain sufficient esteem as a good player to retire your character. He becomes a kind of mythical, historic figure, someone for others to look up to and admire.
2: Yep, That's a great sentiment.
1: Yep, And and it happens. Uh,
2: Sometimes. So usually what happens is like, people can't get together and play anymore, and you're like ninth level, and you're like, oh, that character is forever on pause.
1: Yep. I have so many characters that Just stopped right around anywhere from sixth to eighth to ninth level. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We talked about those original, uh, like the companion box and the expert set. I I don't think I ever got into the companion or anything beyond. I owned all the books, but we never had to open them because
0: our characters always stop playing by the time they're about seventh level. mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So, and that's, and that's kind of the sad thing. I mean, right now we're kind of chatting talking about doing a uh, virtual tabletop situation, but, uh, you know, it's, I really enjoyed. I mean, that's uh, the thing that kind of makes me sad is that I really enjoyed playing these games with everybody and sitting at the table. You know, like like Joel said, you know, with the you know tacos and and Doritos and uh, case of Mountain Dew yeah. and just enjoying. You know, seeing what happens when Pat's uh, halfling decides that uh, he's going to fire off a, a spell and rolls a one for a critical failure and turns himself into a, a carnival game.
1: You had to bring it up.
0: Huh? I did. <laughs> <It's just 'cause.
1: laughs> don't, don't bother bringing up the time that Sarah rolled a one and faceplanted her character trying to jump on a stage. No, don't bring that up. No, that's all right. I don't
0: remember that. <laughs>
1: of course you don't.
0: Now remember, <laughs> remember uh, uh, Big bigglewick f- f- launching himself 100 feet into the air. Unfortunately, there was a uh, tree branch 25 feet in the air. So, so we've that.
2: we've talked a lot about like what we've done individually throughout the years, and the co- uh, times we've come together, which were mostly in college when we all played together. But just uh, this last week at GenCon, for the first time in like 15 years, all four of us sat at the same table to play a game of Pathfinder,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, run by a uh, graphic designer and friend of the show, Joe Abereno. Yep, and uh, we played weeby goblins, and uh, I was the cleric, Poog of Zarangel.
1: I was Mush Marsh, the demonic, the crazy explosives expert.
0: I forget uh, my character's name, but I had a huge head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rega, was, Rega. Yeah, Rekka. Recca. that's uh,
2: right. The fighter. The chick. The fighter chick in the dress with the gigantic head. Yep. And <laughs> I
3: was Chuffy, the crazy little guy who wanted to start fires and had a pet spider.
2: Were you an alchemist or was that Pat? That was me. That
3: was Pat, yeah. What, were
2: you a rogue? Me? Yeah, I think you were a rogue. I've
3: got the character sheet within reach.
2: Because I remember you trying to get around behind things and stab them.
3: Uh, I've got it
2: here. Yeah, no. Male Goblin Rogue. Ah. Yeah. So uh, we've actually got some audio, uh, which I think we can play right here.
1: Perhaps even more exciting, all of you have been secretly invited to meet at Chief Gutwad's moot house. Why would the chief want to speak to you? It can only mean that
2: he's got an important mission for you all, one that the other goblins of the tribe couldn't pull off. This could be
1: your chance to go to history.
3: Yeah. Oh, honored with secret mission. Must tell everyone. Much
1: honor in being invited to secret mission. You can't keep that quiet. You sound like my uncle. (laughs) With a proper English. That's fucking caught me, I'm sorry. My secret mission must tell everyone. I'm sorry. That totally broke me.
0: guess we'll walk out. Is there a bonfire going? Not yet. It's still, it's still like, late afternoon.
2: Oh. Is there anything flammable? Well, there's there's a bunch of big
1: pile where the bonfire's going to be. Hmm. I mm. see. What did he say? The goblins are bringing in He said get firework. firework.
0: Ooh. I know. firework not here, he said, though.
1: They already burn
2: firework. We get more firework. Tomorrow. Tonight we burn stuff.
0: Hut? Do we burn hut again?
3: Which hut?
1: That hut. Chief hut? I start setting fire to the chief's hut. It's the chief's hut? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. What? I, mean, I walk over and start any fire at the Chief's Hut. Yeah, makes sense. That'll help. <laughs> <sighs> what that smell?
3: Fire!
1: <laughs> Fire's nice, but not in my home. Bonfire! Start, nope. the, start the bonfire! Take take fire out, put in bonfire. Okay,
2: I start pulling now. the burning
3: <laughs> board off of yeah. the spot. <laughs> I'm joining him. <laughs> Get Mac- over. Yeah. Grab burning board. Put in <laughs> fire. Get new
0: board, fix hut. I bring a flaming board back to it.
1: <laughs> new board. New board. <laughs> so it should we like the bonfire pull out. Do you, want, do you want to be fed to Squealy Nord? Is that is that it?
0: Answer no. <laughs> Good. Somebody comes up and says <laughs>
1: I dare you to dance with Squealy Nord. <laughs> I dare you. I dare you all. You are such big heroes. I bet you can't dance with Squealy Nord. <laughs> Go ahead, dance with him.
0: All right, stepping out of character for a moment. What the hell is a Squealy Nord? do yeah, so
1: we know what Squealy Nord is? Squealy Nord is a fearsome boar that lives in a muddy pit in the middle of the village. I take off my jester's hat and stuff it in the pig's mouth.
0: They fall in the pit, so
1: you're still, I mean, you guys, you're down on the pit, but now you're hanging out like this, like pig sideways. You're sideways going, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Ah! And then he's down there with the pig, and he's like, oh, I got a two, I got a two, what's going on, what's going on? And then you got Pooh on the outside going, Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm dancing, man. Yeah, there's fire, the big fire outside the pit, not in the pit.
3: No, I'm, I'm with
1: fire. Oh, he, like, he, he likes fire. fire. Oh. <laughs> I,
2: I know. I light a torch and I throw it in the pit. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Go back to this. <laughs> Problem solved! <laughs> you jump in the pit and I the, <laughs> the, the fire.
3: You're going
1: after the fire? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're off the pig. Right. But, but you're, you're like land on your feet and just go Whoo. like it's <laughs> stuck, <laughs> stuck to landing. <laughs> But you're standing on the torch.
2: <laughs>
1: you realize that, like, as you look
2: out in the crowd, like some of the people chanting, and like only have like they don't have ears. Oh. Like, there's two guys that are like, yeah, woo, you
3: know.
1: I thought you owed shots. Oh.
0: oh to get jiggy with it, Joel. <laughs> I think we were at two, right? <laughs> nice. You know,
3: I was trying to stay sober for the game. I
1: don't, want to... I don't think it'll hurt. So what's happened now is basically your face is on fire. Oh!
2: Okay. I'm you're listening not... intently for any cries for help.
1: <laughs> that word may be gone <laughs> yeah. from Mugmarch's <Monk> <laughs> lexicon. soon. <laughs> Every
2: time you've asked for help from Poog, you might not have gotten what you expected, but in the long run... It ended run, up
1: being help somehow. It ended up being help. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Pathfinder?
2: Yeah, that was, it was, that was a lot of, lot of fun. I mean, it, we went pretty late into the night, but I, I'm sure that... Uh,
1: we went I, I pretty that,
2: late into the morning.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get to bed till 3 o'clock.
2: Yeah, well, it, one of my favorite things about that uh, was the look on Pat's face every time uh, Poog had an
1: idea. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was funny. And it's, anytime my character would call for help, it never turned out well.
2: <laughs> no, it always turned out well. Just I, I did things that maybe if you were playing a human and not <laughs> insane, you wouldn't do, like throwing torches into the group or casting burning hands on the party. yes it always helped
1: solving things through fire
0: helping yep <laughs> i felt i was so exhausted in that game it
1: was you were literally falling asleep in between moves at the end
0: i i blame myself <laughs> i
3: i am ashamed it was a long day though i mean to be fair
2: yeah the oh, yeah. first full day of the con but like uh, as you guys just heard uh, we especially near the being of the session got into it played as our characters talked as our characters and had a lot of fun
0: yeah and that's one of the one of the great things that I really enjoy p- playing with you guys is because all of us have had that experience of being on stage with each other at one point or another and being able to read off each other's lines read off each other's uh, improv on that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, the it always,
2: cues that are there.
0: Yeah, it always makes the um, the actual role-playing so much more fun. So,
2: Yeah, and I've played in all styles of games where it's people that, like, barely want to role-play but are all about the tactical ho- combat, and I can hang with that. I've played in the groups that are practically fantasy-themed improv sessions, and I, I like there to be game in my role-playing game, and I like there to be role-playing as well, but, like... I don't know. I, I, I like something that's
0: 50 Yeah. That's about
1: oh. that's where I stand too. I've actually got a couple players in my my game that is going right now that I'm trying to get going at least. Um they actually show up in in costume a little bit. They've got like one guy's got a cloak and the other guy's got some plate mail and mm. I mean they're they're funny guys, you know, they they're they're really into it.
0: Neat. Just, yeah. Uh. So, I always enjoyed the um the pre gens that we would get at the tournaments and that uh, at the that we would play together, like I was it was it Winter Fantasy where we were playing with Carl, where I got the uh, the eighty five year old female cleric. Probably
2: that was yeah. when we were still doing
0: classics. Yeah, you got that, that. that takes me back. Yeah, that was a long time. It's like awesome. I'll play a cleric. I love play, play a play cleric. Oh, it's a eighty five year old woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, the, and the DM just like, good luck with that man. I'm like I crank through that one. That was a lot of fun.
1: Then remember I in- remember the, the Gen Con where we all played in the same team and we we were the first ones finished through the first round? And the DM's like, well, this is supposed to be an a hour and a half event, but you guys finished it in like 32 minutes.
0: So- <laughs> it's like, these are people that know how to play together.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> like, every puzzle, we're, we're just like, Jay and I are just over the corner going, done. And in the meantime, Josh is mapping out the entire dungeon as we're going. And the guy's like, you guys are serious about this shit,
2: yeah, besides the Living Arcanus thing that I talked about, uh, that was the third uh, major D&D tournament I took down or at least placed in. Uh, one of the years, Nascrag, I want to say it was uh, Nexus 3, of the Weatherstone. I was on the winning team, and we got a whole bunch of swag, a couple hundred bucks worth of product. Uh, they gave us sapphire. Was that
1: the one you got the little gem? Yeah, yeah, yeah I got yeah. an uncut, uh,
2: like a, a cut but unset sapphire. I think I still have it somewhere. Cool. And then a couple of years later, in one of the longest running convention games, the uh, AD&D Open. This was a uh, Cutters Three. Let's see. I've got the trophy on my wall here. Looks like it was 2007. My eyes aren't what they used to be. Hmm. Oh no! This is 1997. Wow. Damn. Yeah, That's 1997. Uh, the team I was with uh, took second place.
1: You're old. Ha <laughs> <laughs>
2: ha. Yeah, but like, I don't know. It's a major reward. It's not a lamp <laughs> You're an ring.
1: award-winning role player. Yeah. Literally.
2: Yeah, and before the RPGA cards and levels stopped meaning anything, I was a grandmaster. And uh, uh Pat campaign. currently is. No, that's that's something different. A grand Wizard.
0: Oh right. You d do, you don't want to go there.
2: Too late.
3: Here we are.
0: Alright, so uh have we d de- <laughs> have we D'd the heck what out of it? this? I don't know. Patrick just generated a, a fairy.
2: <laughs> I may have turned my phone back on. <laughs>
0: That's not called generating, Mike. Uh-oh. So have we kick this puppy enough?
1: Yeah, I think
2: that if we continue to talk about Dungeons & Dragons, the show is going to be like four hours. Yeah. So. All right,
1: so here's, here's my question for everybody. Okay. In your Dungeons & Dragons slash Pathfinder careers, what is your favorite character you've ever played? Ooh. While you think about it, I'll tell you about my personal favorite.
0: No, that's Okay. And,
1: it's a it's a tough. <laughs> you guys have only heard about him in passing because it was a it was a one on one campaign that I played with Jay with this character. His name was Ulric. Um, he was a half dragon anti paladin, evil son of a bitch. That was the main reason that we didn't run anybody with him because he just he always ended up killing anybody that, that ended up in a party with him. <laughs> he, he was basically like a one man party himself. He was just a giant badass that could breathe heat his father was a landlennorm which if those of you that know dragons might be familiar with that and he was just a, a straight up badass and he was fun to play because you talk about just being able to release your wild side while you're role playing i mean this guy was just he was basically just just you know a walking raping pillaging machine
3: sounds like yeah. you
1: yeah <laughs> I Yikes. I
0: seriously think that my favorite in a long way has to be playing uh, Big Wiggly and Fizz Fizzlewick with you.
1: That, yeah, that was a lot of fun.
0: Just because we played brothers, and you were the conservative, re- you know, bookish uh, character who wasn't even strong Niles enough. Type character. Yeah. For, you, yeah. You played Niles Crane, and I played uh, the Doc from uh, Back to the Future. Um, <laughs> I played a gunslinger. Yep. Which is just a so much. I love that type of style of character. It's like the the gun had to make make that role for the gun may hit the bullet may hit, but the gun may explode. <laughs> it's <laughs> that sort of thing, and just the interaction with between us and uh, the other characters is what made it for me. I mean, I'm all about you know rolling the dice and doing a good combat and all that, but I think the for me it's the role playing part- portion of it that I really dig.
1: Yeah. I, I love creating a character. That's one of my... Naming a character, coming up with a backstory, I love doing that stuff. Hmm. Joel, what about you?
3: Um. Well, uh, there's only one other character that would compete with this one, but since it's in a different game, makes it easy. So I'm going to go with the one I mentioned earlier, Oric Schillingsteel, being my favorite character. He uh went on to be one of those people that kind of was legendary in the circle of people I played with in high school. Um, and I had a professional artist do a picture of him with my cleric actually. Um, and, uh, just one of those characters where they just kind of come to life on their own, you know? Yep. So, Josh, what about it's, you? It, it,
1: those are well, the fun characters because when you get such a good grip on who they are as a character, Like, the role-playing just comes so easily. You're like, yeah, I know how he would respond in this situation.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he was a half-elf bard who kicked ass.
2: Um, I I talked about him earlier when we were talking about Living Arcanus, but uh, it started as a a man named Simon Locke, a uh, human uh, rogue fighter with a spiked chain who was sort of this avenger, he was an atheist, believed that any world in which bandits could kill his father and get away with it was a world where the gods were not worthy of worship or respect. Uh, he protected children so that no one would have to go through what he did. Uh, he ended up uh, joining a, a secret society called the mourners in silence, who uh, were all about, like bringing down religion from the inside and by the – he was a broken man in a lot of ways and by the end of the campaign, almost every single one of those things changed. He was no longer a human when uh, Valinor died in his arms uh, and he became a Val. Uh, seeing the grace of a Valinor, he could no longer have faith that the mourners had the true way and he had to rededicate himself – Uh, To the gods and he decided to worship Serish, the god of uh, oaths, blood, magic and demons uh, because of a conversation he had with somebody else who was like, well, he used to think that like the Serishans might have been the worst of the religious and he ended up becoming like the one of their champions Uh, became uh, founding order and first knight of the order of the redeeming heart uh joined the Mother Church and the Orthodoxy is one of their greatest champions and ended up getting married to a Val woman, a noble named uh, Andromache Valemon, and they ended up having several kids together after the campaign ended and he was twentieth level. Wow. So like that that character I played for seven, eight years and there was never a question in my mind of what he was going to do he was always severe always intimidating um one point with the whole like watched his father die and protected kids someone's like dude you're playing batman
0: <laughs> it's
2: like shit i'm playing batman okay
0: fine i'm playing batman <laughs> so uh what is on tap for next week then i forgot
3: oh come on guys we're We're kicking off the end of summer oh, some, yeah. going out with a bang we're doing the original nineteen seventy nine meatballs and uh two thousand and one's wet Hot American Summer, which has since been converted to a Netflix original series, so we might touch on that a little bit yep. too so it's uh so yeah, we're going to camp. Pool.
0: I love the summer camp thing bring on yeah. Are we going to talk about summer camp experiences, too?
2: I think that'll probably drift in there, although that, that almost sounds like a separate show.
0: Dun-dun-dun. Yeah. Uh-huh. What, what
1: would that now be? I don't think any of us are going to summer camp.
0: I did once, but they made me leave. Yeah, I've been banned. Like, Sir, please leave. You're not a child, and you're breaking the top bunk.
2: <laughs> I can only appear when teenagers are touching each other and taking off their shirts.
0: Okay, see now you're a hook hook fiend. And now I thought you sound
1: like me and I realize how creepy I sound. <laughs>
0: you kinda do, dude. Yeah, we didn't want to bring it up, but since you're here This is not a podcast.
2: This has been we've been playing the long con. This has been one hundred <laughs> episodes of an intervention.
0: <laughs> Finally so, uh, broken through. So just uh just getting for show 101, Meatballs versus Wet Hot American Summer. And uh, if you want to catch any of our older shows, you can find us on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe.
2: And, uh, yeah, if you'd like to call us and uh, scream at us about how we should be talking about cool stuff instead of Wet Hot American Summer, Charlie, you can do so at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727.
0: Is that a tipping of the hand at how you feel about the show? Uh, Wet Hot American Summer?
2: No, I just—I have a feeling that's how he's going to... He's going to be like, what the hell are you guys doing? There's, <laughs> there's cool stuff to talk about. You're talking about fucking Wet Hot American Summer? There, now I've ruined your voicemail. How's
3: it because, feeling? Aww. Because we're not
1: talking about some kind of Japanese wrestling show or whatever.
3: Dude, or, when or, is that show?
1: Actually, I, <laughs> I just watched a video the other day of a Japanese wrestling show where a guy was wrestling a sex doll in a ring like they were pretending it was a real thing like this other guy was throwing it around and he would like pretend it hit him it was really weird and I had a raging well never mind
0: (laughs) 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 good night everybody see you next week
2: yeah I think this is the music to end our 100th show on yes perfect
3: (laughs) We're back in here long ago Something, something, something Sweet Then there's more dreams. words To recreate what have yet to be created
2: You
0: are now leading the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network Stay geeky, my friends. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Mike. I know that normally we have some sort of stinger or something here, or something goofy that went under in the pre-show, but uh, I actually just wanted to interject here and thank all of you for listening to 40 Going On 14 for 100 shows. Uh, it means a lot to us that uh, we get responses from you guys and comments and suggestions for shows, and we uh, watch the downloads and see from you know all over the world as far as uh, Nikki, New Zealand and uh, out in Australia with uh, Coffin Joe and uh, Charlie. Yes, you too. We enjoy hearing from you also. But um, we just want to say thank you to everybody out there and uh, let you guys know that uh, we appreciate having you guys as fans and are looking forward to the next hundred shows with you. So uh, as we said on there, uh, the ending and the beginning, you know, please, if you ever have any ideas, email us, call us, Twitter us, Facebook us. We'd love to hear from you guys. And uh, if it wasn't for your responses and your enthusiasm for our podcast, I don't think we wouldn't have uh, gotten as far as we have. So thank you very much for being listeners, and uh, here's to another 100 shows. Thanks.